Welcome, everybody, to the Tag You're It podcast. I'm Ray Ray, and here I am again just wanting to introduce the fact that this is part two of Dave and I's discussion with Chuck Kelly, which is the former president of New Orleans Theological Seminary. And so uh, please, if you have not, uh, go back to last week's episode, part one, so that uh, you're not blindsided by anything in this episode. And uh, please get into this kind of stuff, because this is the conversation we need to have at the local and state um, and national level. And so if you are involved in the SBC, you're in a state with a state convention, and you're in an area with a local association. And so we need grassroots efforts to uh, expose things, talk about things, and uh, be able to come together to serve one another as autonomous churches uh, cooperating with one another better. So please enjoy the show and pray and uh, get involved in your local associations. Mm -hmm. Dr. Kelly, while you've now addressed a different, a massive shift in the way that the North American Mission Board, formerly the Home Mission Board, functioned in its relationship with state conventions, there was another really crucial element besides even removing evangelism, and that was this new category of giving, uh, Great Commission giving, I believe. And what we've seen, at least in the charts that you provide in the book, which are just ex ex exceptional, just the charts themselves should uh, bring alarms to people. But what we've seen now is this massive shift of up to 41% of churches aren't giving to the cooperative program. They're giving to these Great Commission giving initiatives. What's the difference there, and why is that a, a massive paradigm shift, and what are the implications of that? Well, the I've been tracking Southern Baptist data for my adult life. I started in doctoral work and never stopped. And so I have kind of a feel for it. And whenever you bring up various statistical categories, I'm rarely surprised by statistics. I'm informed by them and mm -hmm. I see how they change, but I can give you a pretty good guess in most categories about where that statistic is going to be at any point in space and time. The biggest genuine surprise I had came in a chart produced by the executive committee uh, in 2021 that tracked how many SBC searches gave to the cooperative program and how many did not give to the cooperative program. And it covered about a 10-year period. And when it began, that 10-year period began, there were about 13,000 SBC churches who were giving the cooperative program, who were not giving the cooperative program. And that was a big surprise to me. But you go 10 years later to 2019, and you had 19,000 churches did not give a dime to the cooperative program. And that's about 40% of the churches of the Southern Baptist Convention. And I was stunned at the churches who are dropping out of support for the cooperative program. Now, the Great Commission resurgence did something that had never been done before in the history of the SBC. Whenever the convention has talked about supporting Southern Baptist ministries, the subject of the conversation is always the cooperative program, explaining it, illustrating it, showing its power, giving updates on it. It's always about the cooperative program. But the Great Commission resurgence task force 
try to say, well, the cooperative program is really important. Everybody ought to support the cooperative program. The cooperative program is wonderful. But we ought to also recognize people who do designated giving to things they want to support apart from the cooperative program. And that took all the oxygen out of the room about the evangelism crisis the SBC was facing. It was immediately received as an attack on the cooperative program. And when we engaged in that pre-convention discussion, almost everything, I would say about 95% of the articles, social media stuff, things like that, uh, were addressing Great Commission giving, which was this name for recognizing designated giving. And at the convention discussion, almost the whole discussion, about uh, 58 minutes of an hour-long discussion was about Great Commission giving. And that discussion nearly derailed approval for the whole thing. Basically, it was wanting to give people affirmation and recognition for designated giving in Southern Baptist life. Let me see real quick if I can understand how the Great Commission giving works. And because I think that that is an important piece, because as we track the decline of the Southern Baptist Convention, when it comes to, most importantly, baptisms, church plants, church membership, I think those are three major categories. Uh, I also think that giving is an incredibly important thing, the total receipts given. Those are all things I think that any church right, is going to assess how many people do we have in worship, how many people are we baptizing, uh, what are our tithes and offerings, three major categories. That's when I look at Great Commission giving, and I currently pastor a non-SBC church, um, we have great relationships with folks, but we give specifically to a Southern Baptist missionary at Kansas State University. We give that individual, you know, maybe $10,000 a year, something like that. I, I don't remember off the top of my head. If I understand right, that would be considered, if we were an SBC church, great commission giving. We've directly given to an SBC, but that's not going to the full support of all of the entities of the Southern Baptist Convention. So that's in other correct. words, it's a means of saying, well, we give to a Southern Baptist cause that we like, but and we want credit for that, not we give to the cooperative effort that binds our church to the other churches in a unified mission. Right. And it's the, to put it in a local church context, it's like somebody saying to the pastor, now, I don't want a dime of my money going to pay for the paper towels and toilet tissues in the bathroom. Mm, yes. I want my money to go for giving kids in the neighborhood backpacks when we go back to school. All right. Now, giving kids backpacks is an important thing. But you know what? You've got to have paper towels and toilet tissue in the bathroom, too. I don't want a dime of my money to pay the utility bill. I don't want any of my money to be used to pay the utility bill or the insurance premium. I want my money to go to this mission trip or that project. 
Now that project that's important, but you know what? You you've got now. We don't talk about the money we spend for the basics, like the insurance premium, things like that. They're all in the budget. It's not a secret. And, but people know when they give a tithe to the church, yeah, a, a part of it's going to go to this mission project. A part of it's going to go to that uh, missionary. A part of it's going to do that. But a part of it's also going to pay the light bill. A part of it's also going to pay this and that, which is very unglamorous, but very necessary. So Southern Baptists have always focused on the whole picture. That's the cooperative program. And it's divided between the state conventions and the national entities. And it funds at every level of SBC life. And when some people say, well, I don't want any of my money going to that. I'm just going to give my money directly to the International Mission Board. Well, then you're not helping seminary students get their theological education at all. You're just doing the mission. And it's not bad. So what Southern Baptists have chosen to do is to not talk of this in moral terms of which is the best use of your money, but just to talk of this in functional terms. We're going to create a unified budget. Everything's going to come out of that unified budget. What is included? Baptist in a state convention gather every year and they determine how much and how and in what ways money is spent that is gathered in that state convention. The Southern Baptist Convention gathers and determines the budget every year on how much cooperative program funds are spent for each of the entities. It's a very systematic process. And we look at the process rather than arguing which of these things is more important than the other. We just assume the budgeting process is where those discussions happen. And if somebody is successful in voting to defund the utility bill, and the church chooses to worship without electricity or air conditioning or anything, well, then that's the decision of the church. Nobody's going to make them do it. But we're not going to spend much time on that discussion. We're going to look at the big picture of let's let's reach this world for Christ and know it takes a lot of different things working together, interacting uh, together for that to happen. And so that's the cooperative program. And the affirmation and the recognition and the praise that was given for giving at the Southern Baptist Convention level was always given for cooperative program support. Now, that made people who weren't doing much cooperative program giving feel badly. Well, I didn't give it a cooperative program. I only think of it in a megachurch terms. Mm-hmm. I have a $10 million church budget. My church gave. $100,000 to the cooperative program. That's not a very high percentage. That is a minimal amount of a $10 million budget that goes to the cooperative program. So you're not a cooperative program hero. Thank you for that $100,000, but related to what you're doing, that's just, that's not much. So if I'm a mega church pastor, I don't want people to get mad at me because some guy pastoring a little church in Kansas says we give 10% of our budget to the cooperative program. And I'm only giving 0.5% of my budget to the cooperative program. That's not fair. You ought to appreciate, after all, it is $100,000. 
Now, maybe I got 10 million, but it's $100,000, and that's still money that you can spend. So don't think about the percentage of support. Think about the total number of dollars. And I've given more money in total dollars than most churches in the SBC, so you ought to be grateful for me. <laughs> now, those kind of human dynamics, and this is nothing more than humanity. Is okay. there evil involved? No, there's no evil. There's no moral choices involved. Self-esteem. And mm. the uh, blog, and I could actually probably do a book on it one day, the, the most undiscussed issue in the Southern Baptist Convention is the impact of self-esteem on the affairs of the Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah. And, need a, yeah, somebody like you needs to go up into the uh, convention and preach a sermon on don't let your uh, right hand what or let let the left hand know what your right hand's doing. Don't sound yeah. trumpets like like listen to the Sermon on the Mount because like yeah. those are like and I I've invented a term called the line item Pharisee. So it's just mm-hmm. like you know um, just just with our abolition thing you know it's like whenever you would want to fund say Planned Parenthood by only giving them money to uh, like do breast exams. But you don't realize that that money still powers the lights in the room next door where they murder babies. So you're just trying to make yourself feel good. Like, oh, no, I only like Planned Parenthood. They, they got good things. It's like, no, they're an abomination. <laughs> Cut them off. Yeah. So yeah. it's like either you're in. Yeah. And so like with the SBC, it's like we, we found this with the Rick Warren situation. Like either you're in or you're out. You're, this is not a kingdom thing. This is a denomination. So we're not kicking you out of the kingdom. But either you're in or you're out. And so, like, we don't have to be so prideful. We don't have to sit here and go, I get, like, it, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance. I get it. But, like, can't we all come together and go, this is what the cooperative program has done. You're a part of it. That's it. No partiality. And, like, See, let's that, all that's what, together. That's what happens, again, when you lose the thread mm-hmm. of that conversation we all agree on. Yeah. When you stop talking about the things that everybody agrees on and you begin to be dominated by side conversations. There's nothing more boring to a Georgia football fan than an argument between Alabama and Auburn fans. Yeah. There's nothing more boring to a big fan of basketball than a conversation about tennis. And so Southern Baptists have prospered when we've kept the main thing the main thing. And when we fail to do that, the cracks and the fissures begin to appear as a reflection of our humanity. You can't ever take human nature out of it, of our varied interests, because we we are interested in different things and we have different priorities of what matters. So the art of having unity, if you will, in a denomination is not having complete agreement. It's in having a conversation that everybody buys into and says, that's what we're about. And the other things are less important. We're not going to talk about the cracks and the fissures. We're going to talk about what pulls us together. So, and that's what happened with the Great Commission resurgence. It was not about reaching a lost world for Christ. It was about two main things, denominational infrastructure and the relationship between the state conventions uh, and NAM and funding distribution with the Great Commission giving. Well, and there is anything that affects a lost person 
in either one of those. Dr. Kelly, make let me make sure here. I want to. I believe I've uh, I've been tracking everything. What we saw in 2000 was the decline. There was a response that was come up with in about 2008, 2009, presented in 2009, this Great Commission resurgence. What that did is it redefined the North American Mission Board's relationship with state conventions and almost made them competitors. Well, at the same time, it began to recognize non-cooperative program giving as a as a as something people wanted praise for a wonderful and the thing. focus then went from evangelism to church planting and that reminds me of a quotation that you mentioned in your book uh, and it says this in 2013 north american mission board president kevin azell told the convention the SBC needs to start 1,500 new churches a year to keep pace with population growth and church closures. In 2019, without explaining the change, he de- downsized the target to 1,200 new church starts a year. By 2021, North American Mission Board agreed with the SBC Executive Committee on an even further downsized goal of 600 new church plants a year until 2025. This is tragic, um, and if I understand it correctly, our seminaries, our Southern Baptist seminaries, are currently educating probably more students than we've ever educated in the past. What are we doing then with the cooperative program money that's going to fund our seminaries and educating those who are being trained to plant churches? I mean, and how are Southern Baptists allowing for this plan decline? Well, that's the the big mystery. If you were to ask me, what is the most profound change in the Southern Baptist Convention over the last 25 years? I would say it is the growth of apathy towards evangelism in the Southern Baptist Convention. The fact that we are a convention in decline just doesn't bother many Southern Baptists. We have not yet, we we have not yet had a discussion about the SBC's decline. We have not yet had a discussion at the convention about our baptisms dropping off the charts. We baptized more people in 1939 than we did in 2019. That's before the pandemic. And think of how many more churches we have. Yes. And how much more money we have. And how many more resources of every kind we have. We have not yet talked about that because all the oxygen for that discussion has been sucked out of the room by the conversation about Great Commission giving. That's what, that was the sole item discussed related to the GCR proposals by the state convention NAM controversy. I mean, you you had eight or 10 state convention execs write a letter to NAM and the executive committee saying they were contemplating dropping out of the cooperative program because of the unilateral actions of NAM that were damaging Mm -hmm. them. 
this is astounding. This this could not, no one could envision that ever happening in this loosely organized collection of autonomous people who found a way to cooperate together with a minimum of friction, and yet it happened. And these things that are side issues are sucking up everything in the convention, the, you know, the sexual abuse task force, uh, the diversity discussions. None of these are bad or wrong things, but when they become the huge central focus of the Southern Baptist Convention, that isn't what pulled all these diverse churches of little bitty churches and great big churches and churches in the Northwest and churches in the Deep South. That isn't what pulled everybody together. And we've lost that thread in our conversation. So yeah, two major follow-ups to that, and I want to make sure I get both of them. You've got this book out. Um, what kind of response are you getting from seminary presidents, from entity heads, from state executive directors about it? Well, only one entity head has said anything about it at all to me, and he was very affirming and grateful that I did the book. Uh, mm -hmm. State convention execs are, by and large, very supportive. Their, re their responses have been very supportive. People who read the book, it's been very interesting. Uh, we got it out in time for the SBC. And when I left for the convention, I told my wife, who is undergoing uh, chemo treatment for cancer now, and I said, well, baby, I'm going to probably get creamed at the convention. And I'm, I'm just expecting that if anybody reads the book before the convention or during the convention, uh, that I'm going to get a lot of criticism and, and all of that. I have not had a critical response. The most critical response I've had is silence. Mm. And there's just nobody's coming on. Again, let the discussion go somewhere else because the, the, the problem of decline in the SBC is not something the SBC wants to talk about. And I was totally surprised. Matter of fact, we were, uh, we had a very limited participation in the convention because of my wife's cancer. We had to leave. Wednesday morning to drive back to Alabama for her next chemo treatment. And I wasn't even in the hall. And only later did I find out that a messenger had read my book and made a motion to for the SBC to appoint a task force to study the impact of the Great Commission resurgence on the convention. And it was approved by the messengers. And I had no idea that was going to happen. Now, the question is going to be, Will that the task force will be appointed? Has to be appointed. The convention messengers mm -hmm. approved it, but will will that report from that task force be given anything other than a token? Uh, like yeah. in, to give you an example, the convention appointed an evangelism task force that reported in 2018. They did a wonderful job. They made some outstanding recommendations, but it was totally overlooked and inconsequential. Literally, it was read into the record. A motion was immediately made, immediately passed with no discussion, and it did not make a ripple in the SBC. 
at all. So we still haven't had that discussion. And so that that to me, that apathy that isn't bothered. So the convention is in decline. So what? So our baptisms aren't great. Well, so what? Well, we've lost two million members. Well, you know, well, what's the big deal? We're just cleaning up our church rules. No, no, no. We've lost more worship attenders than we have members. Well, you know, that's we just got other things to talk about. And the, the haunting reminder in my mind, I accidentally uh, came across a book in the process of doing this research. One of my sources I was interviewing made a passing reference to a Methodist a scholar and preacher from the middle of the 20th century. He wrote two books on preaching that are still being used in classes today. Uh, w. Sangster was his name. And this person made a reference to a quote from Sangster in a book he wrote on the Great Commission. Well, I didn't know he ever wrote a book on the Great Commission. So I started looking for that book. And while looking for that book, I discovered that Sangster wrote a book in 1938 entitled Methodism Can Be Born Again. Hmm. And I said, well, I got to find that book. So this is 1938. I tracked a copy down. I love the internet. I found a copy in a used bookstore in Australia. That's where I tracked it down. Mm. I got it, little book, 100, 120 pages. And Sangster was saying this to Methodists in 1938. Looking at the statistics our churches are producing now makes it clear and obvious that we are headed for a catastrophe. He said, I quote, a child can tell you where statistics like this are going to lead. Sangster said, we are losing our personality. We were created to do evangelism and discipleship. That's why Methodism came into being. But we are replacing evangelism and discipleship with attention to social issues and forgetting the very reason we exist. And I have our pastors tell me, well, these social issues are so important, we don't have time for evangelism and discipleship discussions. And Sangster said, I tell you, the only contribution Methodists can make to the discussion about social issues in the United States is the need for conversion to Jesus Mm -hmm. Christ and discipleship. That's the only contribution we have to make to that discussion. And when we fail to do that, we are failing in the most important contribution we could make. And if we do not change, Methodism is headed to oblivion. Well, you look at Methodism today, they had the fastest loss of church membership in the history of American Christianity. Think about that. Fastest loss of membership in the history of American Christianity. Mm. Just last week or the week before, they announced that more than 5,000 of their churches have left the Methodist convention, have left the Methodist denomination because of their stance on homosexuality. And they are a shadow now of what they were. Because when we went to the largest denomination in America, 
we passed the old number one, the Methodist Church. Mm-hmm. And in Sangster's book, you could take every place he used the term Methodist, replace it with Southern Baptist. And it is a chilling warning to Southern Baptist today. And so that is my greatest fear. And that is how the convention has changed the most. If we were seeing the statistics and things that we are seeing now, 25, 30 years ago, it's all people would have been talking about. People would have said, well, what can we do? We got to do something different. Okay, what we're doing now, it's not working. What can we do to change this? What can we do to start a new direction? What can we do? And that conversation has still not happened, even Dr. with all Kelly. of this. Yeah, let me end with with one. I think that that is incredibly important stuff that you just put there. But let me, we've been so grateful for your time. I've got one final question. Sure. Given these things, given the fact that, again, I read your book, I was appalled. Uh, I think anyone who is being honest will. Uh, I love your element there of bringing in Sangster. Then what can be done? What can we do at the local level of the church? What can we do at the state convention and the national level? Well, the first thing that we need, there are two or three things we really need to do. One, we need to uh, repair the fabric of our cooperation, that the, the relationship damage that has been done with NAM and the state conventions and everything uh, is far more serious than most people realize. Cooperation is the superpower of Southern Baptist, and we are losing it. It's becoming more technical than functional. Uh, and when that happens, it's just having a dreadful effect and will get worse. So we need to really work on repairing the cooperative fabric of our convention. The second thing that we really need to do is to come to Jesus on the reality of our decline. To just understand, we are not the mighty SBC. An SBC president was speaking on our campus and he and I were having lunch together, just the two of us, and he said he was a bit surprised. It was an election cycle year and he had been expecting after being elected president that he'd be getting all these calls from news outlets and reporters and things about what do Southern Baptists believe about this and that related to the coming election. And he said, I've had hardly any. I, I, I'm really surprised. And I said, brother, we don't matter anymore. That our decline is better recognized by outsiders than it is by ourselves. And they simply don't care what our opinion is in many of these discussions anymore to the same extent that they used to. And we've just got to to come to realize we are in a very serious moment in Southern Baptist life that is not going to repair itself, that cannot be ignored. And it's gonna take all of us working together as hard as we can to do this. Because if if that doesn't happen, we gotta, we're in a fight. You know, we, we are in a fight. And we've got to get that mentality of this is a really critical time. And if I'm a Southern Baptist, I got to step up and be a Southern Baptist. I got to remember, we we got to go after the world. We got to go after the lost people in our community. We got to baptize our children. 
we got to reach the friends of our children and incorporate them into our ministry and be baptizing them. Uh, many times, I can't tell you how many times I'll ask the uh, question in an evangelism kind of meeting. I'll just say, how many of you came to Christ before the age of 18? Never less than 70% of the crowd. Never less than 70% of the crowd. We've got to really focus on reaching and discipling our children. And the third thing is we have got to really focus on discipleship and the application of our faith in Christ to the daily living of our lives. And we have forgotten it is how we live that drives the fruitfulness of our evangelism. You look at times of great persecution in the past. And Tertullian's quote, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church, has been proven again and again and again during the Reformation. The Catholics and the magisterial reformers agreed on one thing during the Reformation. They all agreed on persecuting the Anabaptists, our forebears. The life expectancy for someone after they were baptized was 18 months. They would be killed within 18 months of their baptism most of the time. Yet the Anabaptists kept spreading like wildfire. How, how do people come to Christ when your life could be forfeited as a consequence, when your family could be thrown in prison or tortured before your eyes? How do people come to Christ in dire sort forget worship style, forget programs for children. How do people come to Christ when it's very costly to do so? It is the power of the distinctive life of a Christian that is living the way Jesus commanded. And we have to really focus on discipleship. Now, with those three things in place, we then have to put the major conversation on evangelism. We, we've got to, yeah, Nam has got to start talking about evangelism in a big way. I mean, in a big way. And uh, those are the things that I think are absolutely crucial for us. Repairing the fabric of our cooperation, embracing the reality of our decline and understanding. This, this is a time we're not in danger of uh, going out of existence. The Southern Baptists will be here long after I'm gone. Methodists are here long after Sangster is gone. We're not talking about survival. We're talking about viability. The gospel will continue to advance no matter what. The only question is, will God let me be a part of that advance? Will God let Southern Baptists be a part of that advance? You know, we can't take this stuff for granted, and we got to understand that God grants it. And, uh, you know, we need to, that's a, you know, like, because like, what I'm seeing here is, again, we got to recovenant together to work yeah. together. So we have to stick with our word. What is our word together? And then we have to confess our disobedience to even one another covenanting. And then we need to recovenant. And then we need to go out of that covenant, which is what Jesus did on the mount was the uh, the new covenant and the new covenant succession and we need to we need to speak like that and that's a, that's a major thing because that is what brings the one and many together is by again god relates through covenant we relate through covenant and it's words have meaning 
Um, oaths have meaning. That's why it's evil to say anything more than yes or no, because it's a big deal. And so we have said so many pompous things and, uh, you know, swore by the uh, treasure on the altar, swore by the altar, swore by the temple, and, and, and done the whole piety thing. We need to get out and, uh, and, and get back to what Christ told us to do. And if Living we do that, yeah, yeah, God will bless us. And he will let us be a part of the mission, but he's not going to bless us if we're trying to build a kingdom of our own. And if you're worried about being kicked out of the SBC because it's a big deal, um, you've got the wrong temple. <laughs> you got the wrong thing you're building and worried about. And so and I appreciate your time and your effort yeah. and, 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 and getting all this and coming on the uh, show to talk about it, especially just giving me time to listen and uh, kind of maybe put in a little bit of a different vocabulary um, for myself, for the listeners and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, you hit all the crucial points on that. And uh, I pray that uh, maybe through uh, your, you being a past president and all that kind of stuff and the circles you're in, I hope that all our seminary professors can continue this discussion. Um, it can, again, it, it, it's a, it, it's not, that's not really top down. It's still grassroots efforts, like talking to classrooms, talking in the chapels, and uh, we can get back to that, um, get the messengers back in and not apathetic anymore. I mean, Dave and I have dealt with ap apathy in other areas um, when it comes to our state convention, the national conventions. So it's, you know, evangelism is not the only area, but that's like the fundamental thing that the symptoms are. We're not going and funding, say, abortion mill ministries and stuff like that. But those are only symptoms. That's, you know, you're talking about the fundamental thing and appreciate um, your time with us today thanks for having me on guys dr kelly thank you so much brother you have a great day and uh i'll let adam close us out and then i'll unrecord <laughs> all right well guys uh yeah guys thank you uh for uh so much for uh downloading the podcast again and 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 uh, keeping us a part of uh, your your lineup i guess after the past few months and uh, anybody on youtube thank you for watching this if you could uh subscribe uh, put a review up on your podcast app and just uh, get this message uh, out to more people and uh, get the Tag Your It name anyway to be able to be, hey, if you like this uh, podcast, hey, you might like the Tag Your It podcast too and get more of this stuff out to the people. We're not asking for money. We're just asking for a few minutes of your time to do that. Um, but yeah, we're Tag Your It is back. Thank you so much. And uh, this is episode 291, by the way. So we're inching up to episode 300 after like seven years of doing this. So um, that's awesome. And uh, God has granted us uh, to get back together. So with that said, this is the Tag Your Podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I'm David Van Beber. And we've had... Chuck Kelly. Yes. And uh, we're going to end it the right way. So, Soli. Deo. Glorious.